If you could bow with me for a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come just thanking you. Just thanking you for a time of worship, a time to reflect on your holy name. We come just thanking you for, for who you are in spite of who we are, and just thank you for loving us. We pray, God, that as we um, hear your word this morning, that we would be challenged to draw closer to you and embrace all that you've done for us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I still like to say Merry Christmas. It's not, it's not too late. Right? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. There we go. It's our last um, service um, before the, the New Year um, comes in. So you definitely want to remember that. favorite time of the year. Not just because of the gifts and the hot chocolate and Christmas music. Just a just an opportunity to, to have family and friends around and, and get a chance to fellowship and spend time with, with your loved ones. That's really um, what it's all about. Today's lesson uh, will come from Luke, the second chapter, uh, verse 21 through 38. Luke, the second chapter, verse 21, verses 21 through 38. I try to keep all the lessons around the, um, the Christmas holiday and celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, sometimes we, we get to a, a point in our life or our age where we, we say, oh, I know those stories. I know the stories, but I'm amazed at how when we come back to these um, Christmas stories, just more enlightenment about um, the, the Christmas story. And so we'll take that time to look at that even today. Last week, um, if you follow with the newsletter and, and read through this week, you, you should have read Luke, the second chapter, verse 8 through 20. Um, this is that portion of scripture where the shepherds um, visited Jesus um, in the manger. So we had last Sunday, we spent time looking at Jesus being born in a manger, and we really talked about his humble beginnings, um, his identification with the poor. Um, this lesson today is all about identification, how Christ identified himself with us in the whole world. And so he was born in a, a pretty uncomfortable situation that we probably wouldn't wish on any of our family members. However, this was uh, prophesied that he would come this way. Um, everything we see about the life of and the birth of Jesus Christ was um, prophesied in the Old Testament um, so that there wouldn't be a surprise but there would be a rejoicing in God um, fulfilling the word that he had sent out time and time ago. So usually when we celebrate and we read the Christmas story, we read about the birth of Jesus, we read about the shepherds visiting baby Jesus, and usually we read about three wise men. Um, however, if you go back and, and look at research and, and just study some things, 
although we, we tend to present the three wise men during the same time as the shepherds, um, traditionally we've learned that they actually visited the baby Jesus probably a month or two after he was born. Um, that might, might throw off everything that you <laughs> believed about uh, baby Jesus and, and his birth, um, which we'll, we'll see next week um, in our reading this week. But I want to focus in in Luke, the second chapter, starting at the 21st verse. I'm not going to read 21 through 38 because it's a little lengthy, but I do want to read portions of it at a time just for background, and then we'll kind of dive into it verse by verse, um, like I typically um, do, especially with a, a longer text like this. This is usually a, a portion of scripture that um, tends to be overlooked. Like we celebrate um, the birth of Jesus, shepherds, wise men, and then we kind of move on to um, Jesus um, being um, 12 years old um, at the temple um, with the um, with the religious leaders and then we kind of move on to his ministry. So we skip over many times this portion of text where Christ is taken to the temple for a dedication ceremony. But I want to take some time to look at it because it's extremely important in our Christian walk to see the associations that Christ have with each and every one of us. And so we'll look at that today. If we see, if we look at verse 21 through 24 of Luke chapter 2, it says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You see some repetition in those uh, first few verses, and it's law of the Lord, law, law, according to the law, according to the law, the law, the law, according to the law. When we look at Christ's life, his incarnation, it was important that he fulfilled the law. It was important that he fulfilled the law. We could not. Man could not. The purpose of the law was not that man would be able to keep the entire law. The purpose of the law was to show that we couldn't keep the law and we needed a savior. We couldn't keep the law, we needed a savior. Christ was the only one that could come and fulfill the law perfectly. That's extremely important because if we don't understand that, we may get to a point in our lives where we feel that we are without error or we can't fall or stumble or make mistakes, then there's no need for Christ. There's no need for Jesus. There's no need for a savior. The law was given to show us that we need someone. We need a savior. And that savior was Jesus Christ. And so everything we see right up to the first eight days was according to the law, was according to the law. That part is important to the story as well, especially when we look at two of our um, focus characters, that is Simeon and Anna, in the later verses to come. Because they believed some things. 
they were looking forward to some things. There was some expectancy relating to the birth of Jesus Christ. First thing we see in verse 21, there was this circumcising that took place. This was according to the law. If you go all the way back to Genesis, the 17th chapter, with God and Abraham, God established a covenant with Abraham and circumcision was instituted. That's Genesis, the 17th chapter. We see this carried out with the, the Jewish people, the children of Israel, um, in Leviticus, the 12th chapter, which is a good focus chapter with the beginning part of this because Leviticus, the 12th chapter, speaks of everything that I just read about, the first eight days, this 40-day period of impurity that the mother would go through, this sacrificing, all of that takes place um, in Leviticus, the 12th chapter, is laid out there. And so when I refer to it, that's a, a good reference passage. The baby was named Jesus. The angel said the baby would be called Jesus. And so if God says to do something, we should do it. If God says to do it, we ought to do it. And so his name was Jesus. He would be the savior of the world. And so he circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. Verse 22 talks about the days of her purification. That's a 40 day period with a male child. Double that if it was a female child, but it's a 40 day period with a male child. You have this verse 23 that says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's a verse um, directly from Exodus, the 13th chapter in the second verse. I'm pointing out the reference scriptures because I want to reiterate that everything that happened here was according to the law and according to scripture. Everything that happened here was according to the law and according to scripture. Then it says in verse 24 that at the end of this uh, purification period, or this 40-day period, there will be a sacrifice. The sacrifice here, as I referenced last Sunday, was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That was the poor man's sacrifice. That was the poor man's sacrifice. If you didn't have a lamb, you would sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Luke um, especially um, likes to write about those that are ostracized, those that are outcasts, poor, widows, um, Gentile, um, those that may not have a good reputation to the public. That's Luke's writing. As a Gentile, that was his focus. And we'll see multiple uh, examples of that actually in the passage today. So we have this period of time that's according to the law. Eight days after Jesus is born, he's circumcised, and then the 40th day he's taken to the temple for this dedication service. And then verse 25, we're introduced to a character that's extremely important to us understanding the significance of this lesson. We're introduced to a character named Simeon. Verse 25 says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then your Bible might have a semicolon or a period. So I'd like to stop right there. 
It was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And then it says that he was a just and devout man. And sometimes we read through that and say, okay, he was, he was one that, that walked with God, or he obeyed God, and we kind of moved past it. But the two words that we have here are important to how we ought to live our lives today and how we ought to walk as Christians. If the scripture takes time to bring up a character to the point where God allows the writer to record this character's life in scripture, then it's extremely <laughs> significant. God is putting an example in front of us because every character that lived during this time was recorded in scripture. So Simeon and Anna, which we'll see later on, they represent something. They represent something, they mean something. And God can use anyone. God can use anyone to fulfill his scripture. Simeon is a fulfillment of scripture and prophecy. And so is Anna. So we see here in verse 25 that there was a character named Simeon in Jerusalem at the temple. And he was a just and devout man. He was a just and devout man. Those two words really speak of the whole that we should be about as Christians. Just is a word that really identifies your outward behavior. Just means fair. So it's really an emphasis on how Simeon treated people, how he treated others. He was fair. That's a, a glimpse or a preview of Christ Jesus who would treat each and every one of us fairly as the righteous judge someone that's just. So Simeon was an example of that. Simeon already had an association or connection with the Savior Jesus Christ. It said that he was a just man. But then it also said that he was devout. Devout is that unique word that really means that he walked according to his beliefs and religion. He walked according to his beliefs and religion. That really is an emphasis on, even though it sounds like it's an outward expression, that really is an emphasis on the inside. You walk according to what you believe on the inside. Everyone around you may not be walking according to what they believe or what they should or how they were raised, but you have to, like Simeon, walk according to what you believe is true, regardless of what you see around you. And we studied last week that this period of time was not favorable among the Jews. But he had to focus. This was an elderly man who had to focus on how he was to walk, regardless of what was going on. So he, on the outside, he treated people the way he was supposed to treat people, according to the law or according to what he was taught. And he also walked according to his beliefs. As we transition into a, a new year, it's important that we walk according to what we know is right and not what is pleasing to the world or pleasing to man. Sometimes it's easy to walk the right way when you're around others that are walking the same. There's some comfort in that. It's easy to do that. It's easy for me to be holy in this setting here. But what happens when you go to different places or your job or or just other places around the neighborhood. 
Will you still hold fast to your conviction even though others around you may not be or may not know your conviction or may not know what you believe in? That's really the test there. So we have Simeon who was just and devout, but then there's a, a, a scripture who, that I would read. There's a, there's a phrase in here that I would read past a lot when I first read this passage of scripture, and it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I mean, what does that mean? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, if you look at Isaiah the prophet, half of the book of Isaiah from about the 40th chapter all the way to the end, he speaks of this consolation of Israel. He speaks of comforting Israel, starting at the 40th chapter all the way through. Remember, it was during this time when Isaiah wrote this that the, the children of Israel were in exile. And so they were waiting and hoping for the one who would restore them. What Isaiah really prophesied about was the messianic age where Jesus would come rule and reign and bring everyone together. Of course, we know before that happens, Christ would have had to come and die so that they would believe and they would be reconciled to him that way. So there was a hope by the, the, the Jewish people that the one would come. They were waiting for this. But as things tended to happen over time, many lost faith. Many lost hope. Many began to doubt and believe that maybe it wouldn't happen. Maybe it wouldn't come. So Isaiah spoke about this time when Jerusalem would be comforted, where the weeping would stop and the weeping would end and the righteous one would come and save them from everything that they could experience on the negative side. So Simeon believed this prophecy from Isaiah. That's the consolation or comfort of Israel. Fast forward to today, because as Christians today, we ought to be waiting for something which I'll get to a little later, but we ought to be waiting on something. We should be living our lives in expectancy of being reunited with the Savior for eternity. There's a scripture that talks about when he, when he comes, we should be living a certain way. Our life should reflect that we're waiting for the Savior. Simeon's life reflected just that. This wasn't a, a wait like a, I'm not gonna do anything type of wait. This was an active type of wait. This was a recollection or recalling of scripture or Old Testament prophecy or those things in, in the Old Testament law that signify what was to come. Simeon fulfills scripture. Um, there's a, a passage that um, I came across in the study of this lesson that I thought was interesting because if you go to Psalms chapter 91, it speaks of this passage right here. In Psalms chapter 91, verse 16, Right at the end of Psalms chapter 91, there's a verse that says, 
first of all, Psalms 91 is, is one of my favorite uh, songs. It, it really speaks of God taking care of his people in the dark times, in times of despair, in times where things may be going rough. And right at the, birth, at the end of this chapter, it says, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. It says, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So when you look at Luke, the second chapter, and Simeon makes the statement in verse 29, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. <laughs> Simeon is a fulfillment of a, a song in the Old Testament. God allowed him to live long enough to see the salvation of the Lord. The things that God has said in scripture will come to pass. If God said it, it will come to pass. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they believed in God. Sometimes we say they believed in what he said. And I understand that, that's, that's true. But they believed in God. So they didn't necessarily need to see the promised land to believe that God would give his seed the promised land. They believed in God. They wasn't holding fast to his word, they held fast to God. And God and his word go together. But they believed in God. So we have Simeon right here who believed. Even though he didn't see some things, until this day, he believed. I'm going to believe just because God said it. If God said it, I will believe it. And so we have, in Luke, the second chapter, Simeon. And then it says that the Holy Ghost was upon him, and he began to speak some things. He really began to speak of the things that were in the Old Testament that we are, they were seeing that day. It says that it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that thou should not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God told Simeon, before you die, you would see the Savior. You have faith, you believe, therefore you would see the promise come to pass. You had faith, you believed, therefore you would see the Christ. It says, and he came by the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took he him in his arms and blessed God and said, this is the part where I wanted to grab the baby on the front row. I just wanted to grab a little baby and I just wanted to hold the baby up. I was, I was prepared for it. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna grab Blake and just pick him on up. <laughs> Simeon grabbed the baby for the dedication ceremony and held him up and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. He's also speaking of um, Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, that says just that. 
that the people would see the salvation of the Lord to all peoples. That's Isaiah 52 and 10. This is all people. This is what I look like to write about this because this is not salvation for the Jews. This is salvation for all people. Jews, Gentile. Simeon is an elderly Jew that believes what God said and has had the privilege to see it come somewhat come to pass. Verse 32 says, a light to lighten the Gentiles and a glory to thy people Israel. So that's Gentile and Jew. That's Gentile and Jew. It says, and Joseph and his mother marveled at all the things that were spoken of him. Because he's not just speaking about what's happening at that moment. He's speaking about what would happen all the way through the millennial reign. He's speaking of some future things as well. And then he says to Mary two things in verse 34. It says, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. That's straight from Isaiah chapter 8. It says, And for a sign which shall be spoken against, 35 says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And then he speaks to Mary and says, You will have pain as well. Because you will see your son being crucified. John chapter 19 records this painful experience that Mary had a chance to see. So we have Simeon, an elderly Jew who believed in the things of God and had the privilege to see God's word come to pass in the Christ. And then we have Anna. Verse 36 through 38 says, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow about, of about fourscore and four years which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption in Israel. So we have this phrase again, redemption in Israel, consolation in Israel. What's interesting when you look at verse 36, it says that Anna was a prophetess, but this scripture doesn't record anything that she said. And a prophetess is one that spoke, in this time, spoke on behalf of someone. So she spoke on behalf of Christ. But nothing that she said is recorded here in scripture. And so I was puzzled by that point. Like, why don't we have any of her words here in scripture? It must be that we didn't need any of her words here in scripture. Otherwise, God would have inspired Luke to write it. But instead, we do have some important characteristics about Anna that are worth noting. The first, it says that along with her being a prophetess, her name is Anna. Anna means grace. Anna means grace. 
Anna is the Greek of Hannah, which means gracious. Um, so everything relating to her name, her father's name, and her tribe is important for us as Christians in understanding the value of the birth of Jesus. Remember, when we talk about grace, so God allows grace to come in this um, story right here um, in the, the woman Anna. The thing that we have to remember about grace and we can't forget about grace is we can't earn it or, or, or merit it. We don't deserve it. That's something that we probably should say every, every week because if we don't say it, it's, it's very likely that we'll lean on our own understanding at times and feel like we've, we've done something or, or maybe we've contributed to, the, to God's plan and enhanced it and made God's plan better. But we haven't and we can't. The only thing we could do is be on the receiving side of it. We can't add value to God's plan. So we have Anna who comes in the picture and says that she was the daughter of Phanuel. Now, if you look at that word, for some of you, that word looks familiar because you probably have seen it in the Old Testament a few times. The most um, common story is the story where Jacob wrestled with God. And this place was called Phanuel, which means face of God. For Jacob said, behold, I have seen the face of God and my life was spared. So we have Grace, who is the daughter of Phanuel, which means face of God. She comes in the picture in the temple where God, the face of God, is presented to man. But then it says that she was from the tribe of Asher. So, you know, Jacob had 12 sons, and um, one of them was Asher. And if you look at Genesis, the 49th chapter, there was a blessing that was pronounced on Asher. It said that he would be rich, and he would have royal delicacies. In other words, he'd be rich and prosperous. It's, a, it's a, a bountiful type of blessing. Now I'm associating this with the birth of Jesus, right? Who, in the birth of Jesus, God gave to us graciously, God himself, so that we would receive riches and be blessed abundantly. He said, I came that you might have life and you might have life in abundance or abundantly. And we see all of this here just by the presentation of this woman, her tribe, and where she's from. But then it also says a couple of things also about um, Asher. The name means happy or blessed. That's, that's what the name means. It means happy or blessed. But also, if you look at the tribe of Asher over the Old Testament, this is where we come into play because if you look at the tribe of Asher in the Old Testament, this was a tribe that was really known for its decision making and a lot of it was its bad decisions. For example, God commanded them to drive out the Canaanites. The tribe of Asher did not. They dwelled with the Canaanites. They kind of believed in that like live and let live type of thing. You know, some of us believe in that. You know, we, we may not want to tell someone something that may benefit them or help them, so we say, well, I'm just going to let them do whatever they need to do. 
that live and let live. You see them a few times, um, a few other times in the Old Testament. A another common one was during the life of Gideon, um, where he was seeking help, him and his men, and the tribe of Asher refused to help. So a lot of what you see with Asher is the opportunity to make good decisions based on what they had been blessed with, and they refused to do it. Now the reason I'm pointing that out is because when I look at each and every one of us in here, God has blessed us tremendously. First of all, you gotta believe that though. Sometimes we walk like we don't have anything. You know, like we're pompers or we're poor, or we don't, we don't have the riches of Christ Jesus, and we do. So the first thing we have to do is believe that. The second thing we have to do is act accordingly. If I know that I am blessed abundantly from Christ Jesus, I don't worry because he's going to take care of me. I don't have to worry. He's going to take care of me. Sometimes things will get hard. Sometimes there will be dark nights. But he's there with me. He will provide whatever I need in my time of testing. We talked about this. God has blessed us tremendously. But sometimes people can't hear it. Our speech doesn't show that. Sometimes people can't see it. Our behavior and patterns of life don't show that we are blessed. Maybe you've never been around a, a really rich person. But a person that knows he's rich, there's a walk. <laughs> they don't worry about things because they know that they have the resources to take care of it. If we are rich in Christ, we have the resources through Christ Jesus to take care of any situation that we go through. So this is what's presented in this text with Anna because God is presenting the life and the birth of Jesus Christ to show us that we have everything we need through Christ Jesus. She was a widow. Your scripture, depending on how you read it, um, it's viewed a couple of ways. It says that she was a, a widow of 84 years. Some read that, that she's 84 years old, or some read that she was actually widowed for 84 years. So she could have been from 84 years to like 104, just really depending on how you look at it. The point of it is, this is another identification of Jesus Christ. So far he's identified with the poor, man and woman, because we have this here in the text. Devout and just believers. He's identified with all people, Jew, Gentile. We have two characters in this story that have, in, that, are, that have unusual commitments. It said that she stayed in the temple. Some believe she had a room in the temple. She never left. She was just there all the time. Serving, praising God. Serving, fasting, praising God. Serving, fasting, praising God. When you, even when you look at the context of fasting, fasting is a, is a term that really deals with mourning. It really deals with sadness. It really deals with her believing that she would be comforted in the redemption of Jerusalem. So she had faith and she continued to wait for God and God blessed her by allowing her to see Jesus. They both were waiting. They both were waiting. Today we are waiting. 
Let me give you in closing, let me give you a New Testament waiting passage. I'm going to ask that if you have your Bibles that you turn to 1 Peter on chapter 1. This is our waiting passage. They were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem or the, the, the consolation of Israel where the one true king would come and unite all of his people together and they wouldn't have to worry, fear, doubt. They would be safe. We're in that waiting period right now as well. Peter wrote about this in the first chapter of 1 Peter. I'm going to read the whole passage and give us a couple of tips um, for the new year as I close. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at the 13th verse says, Wherefore, gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Peter wrote this to us, even though it was a letter to his church. He wrote this to us as we wait in anticipation for Christ's return. And he says that we ought to be prepared. That's why he says, gird up the loins. He says we ought to be prepared. They would understand about the loins and the apparel and how men dressed then, but he's using the outward picture to point to a spiritual illustration. That's why he says of your mind. That's why he says of your mind. When I refer to the Leviticus, the 12th chapter in the text, it really spoke about a, an uncleanness and a purification process, like a ritual in the physical. And then we have Jesus who has come to fulfill the law in a spiritual sense. And so Peter is telling us today that spiritually we ought to be prepared because the war really isn't on the outside. The war is here. It's how we think. It's in the mind. If you go to the passage that Paul taught about when he said, when he spoke of the armor of God, he spoke of this girding in truth. So if we're gonna prepare ourselves, if we're gonna wait the right way, then we prepare ourselves by taking in God's word, which is the truth. So he says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. We need to think clearly. My first tip as I close this lesson, as we think about the new year, there's three things that we have to do in order for us to be successful, not only just in this new year, but just as Christians, so that we are, so that the master is pleased when he looked down at our lives. First thing is we do need to pray consistently. We've talked about prayer in some previous lessons. We have a, a prayer sheet in the back. We send out weekly prayers. But it's important that we have a, a daily, active, fervent 
prayer life, we have to keep communication with God open. We have to keep communication with God open. We have to cast all our cares on God. Just like any healthy relationship, communication is the key. If my wife today stopped talking to me, I'm gonna wonder what's going on. Like, what's, either she's mad at me or something's going on. Like, I'm, I'm gonna know that there's a disconnect. And I like to talk. I probably talk too much at times. We are to have a consistent prayer life, but that's us speaking to God. Sometimes as Christians, we talk too much. <laughs> Sometimes we just want to talk to God, but we don't want God to talk to us. Because sometimes we feel like if God talks to me, he's going to tell me what I'm doing wrong, right? <laughs> like that parent. So we'd rather not hear from God. We just want to talk to God. That's not a healthy relationship. We need probably to talk less <laughs> and listen more to God. Jesus said, he that hath an ear, let him hear. That's not a hear. That's a hear to obey, a hear to do. We need to hear from God. How do we know how to walk or live as Christians if we don't have the instructions from God? So our second tip is we need to get into the word daily. As often as we pray, we need to have scripture. We need to study God's word. We need to read passages. We need to familiarize ourselves with God. We will only know God through his word. Sometimes we're praying for things or we're asking God to do things and it seems like he's not responding to us. But he is. Sometimes he's saying just, why don't you open up the Bible? <laughs> like, why don't you open up the book? It's almost like we're asking God to speak to us through prayer, like a voice from heaven. <laughs> and he's saying, you never open up the book. You don't really want to hear from me because if you did, you would open up the book and read. I want to talk to you, but you won't give me an opportunity to speak. The third thing that we have to do as believers is we have to apply God's word on a daily basis. I know sometimes we're reading the scripture and we're, we're listening to sermons and lessons for memorization, but we have to move past just knowing what God's word says to a, I'm gonna put this in practice. I need to live this out, like, I need to change. We won't change, grow, or mature if we're not trying to apply the things that we, we read on a daily basis. So as we wait, as Simeon and Anna displayed, we actively wait, they believed in some things. So they were devout, they were just, they were faithful, they were in the temple, they were serving, they were praying, they were fasting, they were doing all the things that they believed God was instructing them to do. And for us today, we ought to do the same. Um, this week, I'm going to ask that you read uh, Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. If you could this week, read Matthew, the second chapter, verse 1 through 12. It is the story of the wise men. Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. This is my extension activity. All right, not homework. My extension activity. All right. Uh, if you could join me for a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come just thanking you for another opportunity just to read your word and study. 
we just thank you for allowing everyone to make it here through the weather. Thank you for keeping us safe. We just thank you for giving us examples in scripture of how we ought to live as we prepare for, for you, to be with you, to live with you in eternity. We just thank you for loving us and providing for us um, through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would bless the remainder of this service and that you would protect us as we leave this place. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And remember, if you have a prayer need or you have something that you need to talk to Robert,